Hi, everyone. Uh, before we get into the episode, we're starting things a little bit differently. Uh, first of all, we want to thank you so much. Uh, we saw the insight uh, for the number of listens uh, this last uh, week, and the numbers were very humbling. So thank you so much for listening. A special shout out to uh, Patrick Campmeyer, um, who is, you can see, is the number one fan. Um, you know, you can always email us at talkingtwinpeaks at gmail.com. Uh, we will take a look at their, your um, comments, questions, concerns, uh, insights uh, that you want to uh, give us as well. We Very, very happy to hear from you. Joe, do you have anything else to say to the amazing fans that we have? Yeah, uh, please send uh, all your uh, all your YouTube covers of just you and I to Paul. He loves that song <laughs> so much. Uh yeah, thank you guys. It's it's awesome knowing you guys are all out there listening. Uh, yeah, you it just it's it's really it's really fun for us to do, and we're glad that you're up. You you guys are uh, listening to us ramble about a show we love. So. Yeah, I tell you what, if if, you, if someone does, if if I start getting an influx of you and I covers, I will put them on our YouTube channel. I will we will put them on the showdown, and we will actually play them on our podcast. I that is something I will totally do. <laughs> so all right well yes from both uh joe and i thank you again and we hope you enjoy uh this episode um part uh 12 Welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. I'm Joe Fremming from the Joe Down. With me, as always, is Paul Muad'Dib from Cast That Movie. How you doing, Paul? Well, there's some fear in letting go. Oh, this is a... Uh... Last week, uh, Paul was telling us about how this part 15 of The Return, which we're reviewing today, was going to be like one of the slow burners or... Not much happens, and then it's going to speed up once part 16 happens. Paul, what happened with your theory? <laughs> I was off. Like, there was things that happened in this episode. Again, it's been a while that, for whatever reason, I thought happened in 16 and not this episode. So you really got to excuse me. It's been three years, three and a half years since I've seen this. So I was going off my jumbled memory. Um, so I wholeheartedly apologize. Yeah, we're gonna burn for a long episode, I think. Yeah, uh, I think the part fourteen was the last slow one. Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> like, yeah, because <laughs> like as soon as like I'm like, you know, not to get too far ahead, but like 
First it's Ed and Nadine, and then it's like, holy shit, there's Cooper with the the Sunset Boulevard. Like, holy shit, the fucking convenience store. Yeah, yes, yes. And these were all things, for whatever reason, I thought happened in 16 and not this one. And that's just my, you know, my distorted memory. Hey, I was backing you up on it. I thought that was right, too. (laughs) But, so let's get into it. Uh, the episode's called There's Some Fear in Letting Go. Uh, the line's taken. Uh, we'll talk about it, because it's also the uh, beautiful, uh, beautifully written elegy for uh, Margaret Lanterman, Catherine Coulson, our our favorite log lady. Yes, and I'm, I, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to throw you, I think, for a loop. On my thoughts and feelings later in this episode. So, um, just putting that out there. Let's start at the beginning, though, shall we? We just got a hot take. Paul hates the log lady. <laughs> she never dated Snake. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you hate the log lady. <laughs> Dear Lord, and you announced in the episode she dies? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of shithead am I? <laughs> Speaking of shitheads, Nadine's walking down the street, Joe. <laughs> yeah, with her golden shovel, which she uses to shovel herself out of said shit. <laughs> I, again, the actress, uh, um, uh, Margot. Played, yes. Fuck, she's so good as this character. Like, like of uh, some of the like I said, some of the other characters kind of slipped out here and there, or didn't carry some of the spunk that they had um, into this season. But my God, does she fucking give it her all, doesn't she? Oh, it's great. It's and you know, uh, it could, so yeah, she's doing great, and it's great to see her with uh, Big Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we haven't seen these two on screen since uh, People Under the Stairs, I think. Right. <laughs> I'll keep bringing that up because you know they're in it. <laughs> they, they are. They are. They are the couple together, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Nadine's walk. She walks miles to big ed's gas farm with her golden shovel and a new outlook on life and again just the way that she delivers her lines the way that she's acting like i don't see the actress like it's she's so good i just see this character nadine who has had this epiphany and she says i've been a selfish bitch (laughs) you all these years oh my god (laughs) and you know, again, uh, Everett McGill, um, who plays Big Ed, he's also one of those guys that just can just slip into that character. And immediately, you know, like, you, even though he, I hate his haircut, um, <laughs> he's still Big Ed. Like, well, Norma, you're good. I mean, well, Nadine, you're going to regret saying, like, just the way he does and everything. Like, this is just classic Twin Peaks right here. And I love that they open up with it. And he, but she gives him, the go, and then we get Otis Redding singing as he drives up to the double R. Yep, I've been loving you. Uh, the uh, the live version. Oh God, yeah. This is like, this is like my fa- of all the you know because we don't get a whole lot of fan service Mm-mm. in the return. Th- uh, this scene, uh, Ed and Nadine, and then Ed and Norma is my favorite uh, fan service. I felt I feel like they did such a good job. Because, you know, these two, <laughs> Ed and Norma, as we read in Secret History, is just like, 
it was never it never was the right time for them. Yep. Yep. And so, and- so Ed comes in, Otis Redding sing, singing. He goes up to Norma. He's like, yep. yep. <laughs> I'm going to be single. We can finally be together. And she shuts him down because Walter is there. Oh, God. Just Walt- soul crushing. Like, oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no that, that guy, no, it's so funny. The guy, the actor, I'm going to bring this up. The actor is Grant Goodeve. And by God, is he not a fucking tulpa of um, of uh, Cole? Of um, is it Gary Cole? Gary Cole? Yeah, he looks just like <laughs> he looks just like Gary Cole. Like Bill Lumberg. Yes, he looks just like Bill Lumberg. And it was so funny because I'm like, oh, you know, when I saw him the first time, I'm like Bill Lumberg. And then we didn't bring it up in that episode that it's not Bill Lumberg. Um, and but this is the perfect time to do it. My God, he's a tulpa for Bill Lumberg. It's just like him. It's... He does. I still don't believe it's him. I think it's Gary Cole playing as, as Grant Goodhue as Walter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, Walter's in for some uh, bad news. Uh, Norma decides she wants to sell her shares of the franchise. Just keep the double R. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, you know, now, this is also a tribute to the writing, because Walter's a good guy. Like, he's not a bad dude. Like, he's like, I think you're making a mistake. I don't think you want to do this. Like, he is legitimately looking out for Norma. But yeah. you, know, but Norma, you know, I think I think she made that decision right then and there when Ed came up to her. I don't think that was something she was going to do. Until Ed came there, and like this was nothing else mattered to her but Ed, and I think that was a really brilliant way of writing it. Yeah, I agree, and uh, it's uh, you know, I mean, Walter, he's not you know Hank Jennings, you know, it's who's like a you know who was a skeevy shithead. Mm-hmm. This guy's a generally seems like a nice guy, you know. Uh, yeah, and then she just decides, you know what? It's time. It's time to, you know, step, just go back to what she wants, what she wants to do to keep herself happy. And real quick, I want to mention that, you know, it seemed like in, you know, in the beginning of the season, you know, we kind of, for the little amount we got into Norma and everything, like she was making a killing on this new double R thing. And then we find out it's seven tires. (laughs) (laughs) It was soon to be seven. Wait a minute! I had a feeling here that like this was like a this was like a new big franchise that they were going on. You mean there's six diners? There's only six diners. That's not really a franchise, is it? It's a franchise in the making. You know, again, the restaurant business is notoriously easy to make a make it in. You know, <laughs> is that like uh, is that like the Saint Cloud, the McMullins? How many McMullins were there? <laughs> Notoriously easy to, to become wildly successful in the restaurant business. You hear that all the time. I mean, whenever whenever uh, Gordon Ramsay shows up, he's like, "Why are you guys fuck it up? This is easy." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Walter leaves, and Big Ed's sitting there with his coffee, and uh, we get this beautiful moment where Norma comes up to him, and so he, good. he's like, "Marry me," you know, like. And she, so, 
It's so fucking good. And she's like, yes, and I have to agree with you. We are not giving a lot of fan service, so maybe this is why it's our favorite. But I also feel like like this was something, you know, he, you know I, I think a lot of people were pissed off that we didn't get more of Audrey, which we'll get into later, once again. Um, but this right here, I think, was by far the best because, to me, of all the Twin Peaks stories, Norma and Ed's was, like, the most tragic. Absolutely. Yeah. And- you know, and for the people who got mad with Audrey, well, guess what? Uh, they don't write this for us. They write it because they have an interesting story to tell. Lynch mm-hmm. and Frost. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And, and and not to say Twin Peaks wasn't tragic, but I mean, when you read The Secret History, when you, you know, and, and which really went into it more than, than the show did, um, you know, this was like the two star-crossed lovers. I mean, nothing they were high school sweethearts. They both of them couldn't get out. They both were with the wrong people at the wrong time. Very, very. When you look at it, um, outside the suicide thing, it was very um, Romeo and Juliet esque, where yeah. it was bad decision, bad, bad, bad decision begot bad decision, which begot bad decision. Yeah, and you know, Hank played a role, like especially when Ned was in Vietnam, mm-hmm. stealing the letters and all that. So, like, you know, it's yeah, it's. This felt so good. Yes. And, and it's my favorite. And I, you know, even uh, even though we do get, like, the ultimate payoff uh, in a few episodes, uh, this one I still enjoy more. Yes. Um, I, I would completely agree. And, you know, and we should have saw it coming in hindsight because they went in so much of it. Like you said, the letters of Vietnam in Secret History. We should have known that, like, there was going to be a payoff, but it was so subtle in that thing. It was, you know, and then to see this, I did not see this coming, you know. Yeah. Well, they didn't even give us Ed until like the last, after 10 episodes. <laughs> right, right. So this was just, yeah, I, I completely 1000% agree. This is my favorite fan service. I'm so glad they gave it, they, they gave it to us. And in a way, I'm so glad they gave it to the characters. Absolutely, and uh, and we have this beautiful moment, which is then followed up by uh, static darkness, phone poles, driving at night. Mister C is heading to the convenience store. Oh boy! Which is uh, it, this? I love this too because this is uh, this kind of ties in like elements of Firewalk with me a lot. Especially the painting Laura mm-hmm. is, is, gets from Michelle Font. I think that was intentional. I think that was an intentional art design. Yes, I put yep. two and two together with that as well. Yep, yeah, yeah, that was absolutely intentional. That this is like, you know, because the painting was a portal to whatever. To the Dutchman. Now, I love the cool, like, we're getting a little ahead of the scene, but I, I love how the Flying Dutchman, why it has its name. Like, it actually makes sense why it has its name. Go on. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when it happens. We'll talk about that when it happens, because um, it will. We will get to that part. Um, but yeah, so he goes in, and the electricity's crackling, and you got the woodsman, and he's the like, "Let's greet some." Yeah, yeah. 
and like a valet, exactly. Yeah, like 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 oh, it's this way, Mister C. <laughs> <laughs> what accent I, was that? <laughs> I, I I don't fucking know. <laughs> What's an accent? Mister <laughs> C. <laughs> and um, then you know he he gets put there. Um, you know he takes him to the 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 meeting where he meets another woodman. And he's like, I need to see Philip Jeffries. And then, you know, he flips the switch, which is absolutely, this is a portal to all these other places, right? Like, this is how yeah. I, I now, my question is, this is where I knew we were going to get a little deep in this one. The woodsmen, for whatever reason, are helping Mr. C. So they're, op- they're operatives of Judy, obviously, um, because they I don't came think up... they are operatives of Judy. Okay, go on. Let's hear your take. I think they're operatives of Bob. You think they, they're operatives of they Bob? They were born of Bob. Mm. They don't. I don't think they care about Mister C. As you, we saw in Part Eight, they were more concerned about protecting the orb of Bob within oh. Mister C. Mm, interesting take, and you bring up a really good point there. Yeah, yeah, because I mean that. So, because this is, uh, essentially, he gets to the convenience store, right? Like, this is the convenience store that that was above, or at least one of the convenience stores. And so my question to that is, is how is this operating within and actually without the Black Lodge? Like, is that what this kind of is? Is that what this particular setup is? Um, well, okay, we'll get to the Flying Dutchman reference now because I think we need to. But at the end of this whole scene, the um, the convenience store disappears, just like the story of the Flying Dutchman, which is the ship, that the ghost ship that disappears and comes up in different places. So is this like a thing that Bob maybe set up for himself that's operating outside of everything that still gives him the ability to kind of jump between worlds? I think so. And okay. I think so. That's because, and I think you're absolutely right on that, uh, because you know the convenience store also operated as, uh, you know, the meeting place too of these worlds and entities. We saw that in Firewalk with me. Yes, and no, you're refreshing my memory here. And you know, he said we would meet above a convenience store, him and the arm. So they weren't really doing what they should have been doing, anyways. Till the one saw the, the face of God. Um. Okay. And the yeah, and then while there, he Mr. C is in there. We see that uh, background painting that we we brought up uh, that uh, was like the same pattern from Laura's dream and fire walk with me, when Annie's in the room and she sees Cooper telling her don't take don't take the uh, don't take the ring. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this is kind of like yeah, it operates as kind of like like the Dutchman, like a like a ship. That yep. is able to, you know, bridge between these worlds. Got it. Well, then we get a we get a we get a cameo from one of our favorites, the Jumping Man. Yeah, which is, he looks very concerned too when Mister C shows up and the the the, the lever is pulled. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jumping Man. Uh, we get it very briefly. I'm, I love that they much brought back the Jumping Man. Right. Right. <laughs> Such a weird character. We yeah, I get absolutely no explanation what the jumping man is, but I love it. It's such an aesthetically cool looking character. Yes. But he looks a little concerned that Mr. C is going to the Dutchman's. 
Um, yes, he does seem very concerned. And it, w- side note here, this is the this is the same jumping man from Firewalk with me, by the way. Yep, 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 yep. It's the same actor, which I thought was really cool. Um, yeah. Then then we we finally meet Philip Jeffries. Now, again, we talked about this. David Bowie is dead, and um. <clears throat> This felt very much to me a little bit more respectful than the bubblegum tree <laughs> aspect of it. But I feel like that this was done out of necessity versus what they wanted to do. Like, this feels like one of those things where Lynch was like, well, if I can't have Bowie make him a fucking teapot, we'll figure out in post. Yeah, and it works, though, because uh, we don't know what happened uh, we saw he was severely burned when mm-hmm. they sent him back to Buenos Aires. Yep. Uh, yeah, so Jeffrey's has had a rough 25 years, it looks like. Uh, yeah, so uh, one, uh, so Mr. C walks, and it's like uh, the Dutchman's is like, as it's it's like a, a creepy, uh, looks like roadside motel. He walks there, and a woman in a dirty robe uh, unlocks the door for him. She says, I'll unlock the door for you. And she's doing, like, weird lodge backwards speak. Mm -hmm. Yes. And at first, she looks like she's um, 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 uh, Shelfon at first. Like, the outline, the way she's walking, I'm like, oh, nope, nope, not not Shelfon. Nope. Uh, nope. And uh, Jeff oh, Tremont. I'm sorry, Tremont. 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 Yeah. Uh, well, the actress who played Miss Tremont is. It's long passed away. Long passed. Uh, brings so he's at room eight. I took note of the the uh, the room number. Uh, she lets him in. It's a dark dark room. It's very like David Fincher like from Seven with like the you know the being dark and like. The weird, creepy rape light going off. Mm-hmm. And Jeffries is a giant teapot blowing steam. Yes. It looks like one of the chambers from the White Lodge. He sure does look like one of the chambers from the White Lodge. So it's interesting to me as to how um, Mr. C got there without anyone knowing. But again, it must be this way that he's able to get in through with the woodsman. And he's... The, Mr. C's pissed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's Jeffries is trying to have him kill. I love him. He's you know, he's there. And first thing Jeffries is like, oh, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's you. But <clears throat> and he says, Hey, you, you know, you you got sent to um you know, you sent Ray to kill me. He and he's like, uh, I called Ray and you know, and um you know, I I don't have your number. And then they talk about meeting at the FBI headquarters and ask about Judy. And which is the interesting thing. He says, so you are Cooper. Yeah. Which makes me think uh, he thinks that this might be the real Cooper. That's what I thought as well. Yep. But I think he lures them into a trap after that. Yes, I think he because, does. Because then Mr. C goes, who is Judy? Does Judy want something from me? And Jeffries is like, why don't you ask Judy yourself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've met her. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I've met Judy. And I think that was the key right there. <clears throat> that that's what Jeffries needed. 
So he gives them these coordinates. Now the numbers were like four, five, eight, eight, one. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll see where those coordinates lead in the next episode. In the next episode, I I, I know there's a lot of numerology, so I'm going to bring this up now for maybe people that are looking at that. I looked into the numerology aspect of this. There is no meaning to those numbers, by the way. There's just it's start. It's a start of a coordinate. It's nothing outrageous. It's nothing underlining. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So. So I think Jeffries is troubled by this because he's just uh, he gives him the numbers and Mr. C's like who is Judy? You know he's yelling. Mm-hmm. He's, and again, it's like you've already met Judy, and this phone rings. Jeffries aunt just vanishes, and as soon as Mr. C picks it up, he's kicked the fuck out. Yes, and with a really interesting kind of you know uh, a, a visual effect there of the kind of the, the the in and out you know like the electricity thing of that nature, he is gone. Like he doesn't want to have anything um, that to do with any of it, right? Like uh, yeah. Jeffries wants him out. <laughs> yeah. So we're get, we we kind of get an I you know you know there's rules and things about these these other worlds within the worlds of world of Twin Peaks, and uh, yeah, I think Jeffries. And who, whatever this place was is a powerful one in that they could just expel. <laughs> See, like that was just like, fuck you, you're out. Yeah, yeah. And then he's greeted by his by Richard. Horn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Pointing a gun at him. And we find out that he, he recognizes him because uh, Audrey had a framed photo of agent cooper uh when he was growing up so he's like you're an fbi i know you're an fbi agent and all that uh <laughs> cooper <laughs> mr steven like spits and then just beats the shit out of him. yeah yeah he spits which causes richard to look i noticed that richard looks he just Beats the shit out of him. I mean, I, it sounds like he broke ribs, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I'm starting to suspect Mr. C's not a patient guy. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> <up to bullshit. laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to, I have to agree with you. I'm probably in the, uh, in the same boat. It's uh, starting to dawn on me that he, he might have like a, a, a bad streak in him. <laughs> just a, just a bit. I, I think I, I you know again we're learning this late in in the season that he's this way, um, <laughs> but he tells me he's like, how do you know who I am? You know, he says, hey, I'm Cooper. You know, I I, I know you're from the FBI. You have my mom's. Um, uh, my mom had a picture of you. Who's your mom? Audrey Horn. And you know, he's like, get in the car. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever threaten me again. <laughs> Don't ever threaten me again. But before he goes, he sends a text message saying Las Vegas, question mark. Which we saw a few episodes back. Yes. Um, so, um, and then, then again, the, law, the the convenience store disappears, which is why, again, it's called The Dutchman. Um, uh, because it's based upon that story of the, of the Flying Dutchman, which is, again, that ghost ship that disappears and reappears at will. Uh, which seems now to be the will of Mr. C and where he needs it to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, or he just knew where it was going to be. We, yes. I guess we just don't know. <laughs> but that's all right. Uh, because, uh, you know, it just vanishes. And we head back to Twin Peaks where we see Cyril Pons, famed reporter, 
the Twin Peaks area walking his dog. Uh, oh, nice cameo God. by Mark Frost here. Yes, beautiful cameo by Mark Frost. And let's, uh, yes. So <clears throat> we'll talk about, um, uh, just real quick, Cyril Pons. We know who this character is um, from The Secret History. He, is all, he was in an episode of the original run. Oh, he was a TV reporter. He was the TV reporter. That's yep. right. Yep, yep. That's Very right. Brief. Very brief, but yeah, so like, yeah, this is Mark Frost reprising the role. And Secret History gave him a little more to do. He had those bylines in like the Twin Peaks Gazette. Yep, yep, writing about Andrew Packard's death and a few things in there and the sawmill. Oh, no, that the sawmill was what he reported on. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, excellent. And then we see Steve and, and Kirsten. Um, boy, I that's a that's a level of strung out. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen that level of strung out since, you know, we were in high school and all our friends turned to meth. <laughs> you know, oh boy, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is, uh, now we're getting into somewhere because I want to talk a little bit about this. We've talked about our hometown and, you know, stories and things of that nature. This version of Twin Peaks reminds me of our hometown circa 94, 95, 96. Reminds me, 99-2000, when everybody was starting to get strung out on coke and fucking meth. See, it was happening to me before 99-2000. Before like, I was hanging out at a particular coffee shop, the Java Joint, and I was with the punk and the goth crowd, and it could hit that group earlier than it hit other people. Um, I watched a lot of people change on that drug. Yeah, dude, like, this is so much, like... What we saw, like what what's happening in the Twin Peaks now, is what we dealt with. What twenty five, uh, twenty, uh, fuck twenty. Well, you're saying twenty, twenty yeah, about years, twenty to twenty five years ago. Yeah, about twenty twenty five years ago, exactly. Um, and it's yeah, like this is like this scene right here is like I've knew people <laughs> who like you would see them huddle up downtown and acting this way like this is totally i've seen this like this is this is not an absurdity by any stretch of the imagination no uh it, it, yeah so we have these two uh they're just they're, they're just jacked out of their minds uh, steven has a gun which is uh i mean this is just a perfect storm of stupidity isn't it <laughs> mm-hmm uh he's loading it up and he's uh, talking about how he likes to like, how he likes to fuck her uh, yeah, that was not the most romantic <laughs> like this is poetry man what are you talking about this is like a meth head confessing his love like i love the fuck you 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 know that <laughs> i, I, I thought you me. wrote that again like, and you're like on cards to your wife <laughs> <laughs> I love to fuck you. I thought you would know that. My favorite time with you is the time we fuck. Happy anniversary. Me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. So, I think this is the most we laughed at an episode. So, so forget, we get that. And poor Cyril, walking his dog, comes across these two chuckleheads. <laughs> See, Steven has a gun and runs off. Gersten runs off and hides because, you know, she's high as fucking paranoid. Uh, and then uh, 
Steve does the world a favor and just kills himself. Well, so this is the interesting thing, right? Because we're going to learn. And you know what? Okay, leave it at that because that's what I believe as well. I believe he fucking flips out and kills himself. Yep. 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 Uh, then Cyril goes back to Fat Trout where he's living. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells poor Carl what happened and he points to Steven's trailer. And man, Carl Rod is just fucking, he's done, isn't he? <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's, it's all this drama. Yeah, it's this uh, poor Carl, and then and with the side new Fat Trout Trailer Park, by the way. Um, so again, continuity issues there. Um, then we, yeah, then we get a, 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 a odd transition. <laughs> We're at the Roadhouse. Yeah, with with, with a. With, with an easel on stage, and we're going to listen to Sharp, one of the Roadhouse favorites, Sharp Dressed Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was, uh, uh, yeah, it, it was so weird. And uh, we see that girl who cried at James' stupid song. Renee. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Renee and her husband Chuck. The only reason why I know this is because of the credits. Yeah, Chuck. Yeah, yeah and James comes in with Freddie. You know, Freddy. we're listening to ZZ Top, and <laughs> he's, uh, he goes to Renee's booth oh. where her husband's at. <laughs> oh, God. Start saying hi to her. Which is just the dumbest. Okay. Again, I'm glad we explained earlier that James had a motorcycle accident and wasn't the same. Uh, because, uh, you know what, though? I believe James would do this anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think the, ra- the motorcycle accident did anything to his, to alter his intelligence even worse. He's just like, that's just like such a low bar. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, who, okay. Listeners, old, young, mostly old, I'm sure. Like us, you don't do this. <laughs> you don't do this. No, I'm gonna hit on this married woman in front of her husband. <laughs> Jesus Christ on a crutch, James. Fuck, you're an idiot. Yeah. Uh, well, then you know, Chuck gets mad and just lays him out. <laughs> and then, and then Freddie comes to the rescue, man. <laughs> yeah, and he, uh, he so he punches Chuck and Chuck's buddy. And we yep. kind of see like the how much damage this green glove can do. It it, it one it it stop makes the music skip with its reverberations. <laughs> yep. So yep. it's a sharp dressed man, you know, right in the middle of a rock and solo gets <laughs> gets all messed up, which you know is ruining the people in the mosh pit section at the roadhouse. You know that's you know that's ruining their yeah. night. Well, you know. <laughs> But we see like Chuck is like his eyes are rolling in the back of his head and he's got foam coming out of his mouth. Uh, I think my favorite line is, ooh, you're gonna need to get 911. Uh, you know, you're gonna have to get 911 for these guys. They're really hurt. His eyes don't look right. I'm sorry, Renee. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the 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 way it was done reminded me almost of um Owen Wilson in Royal Tenenbaums at the end when he kills the dog. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, did I kill the dog? 
I need help. Like, <laughs> like, like just the way that the delivery is done and kind of the dialogue of this was very, I was very that particular scene in Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, no, it's, it's a weird scene, but I, I, the reason is they put it is we had to see the glove in action. Yes. Yes. So and shadow that somehow. And we had to get, we'll find out later, James and Freddie to the police station. Yep. Yeah, so we had the, the, even as bizarre as the scene is, it, it it serves a purpose, a very weird, pur- a weird. very weird Lynchian purpose. Yeah. Uh, next, we are at um, <laughs> the Vegas FBI headquarters. <laughs> uh, Doug and Jones are here, um, along with their kids, kids. Kids, <laughs> it's the wrong Douglas Jones. The wrong Douglas Jones, um, and Headley knows this as he walks up. I'm sure he did. He's just like, "I found you a Douglas Jones." Um, so that's a very short-lived scene. Then we cut to Todd trying, trying to get um, uh, to to find out where An- where Anthony is. If he's heard from Anthony. Or Todd's telling Roger, or asking Roger if he's heard from Anthony, and to get Anthony when a surprise shows up. Yeah, Chantel fucking just cuts them down. Uh, yeah. So good. Again, I'm surprised Mr. C just has this. It seems like it's a short fuse, you know? Mm, just a bit. Just, just bringing this on us on part 15. <laughs> Right, like a bunch of like shit's not going well for Mister C right now, and everyone's gonna pay. Although, and then I love how she shoots him, and then she said talks about French fries, and then Roger's still wheezing, <laughs> and she's like, ah. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, then real quickly, you know, we talked about it already. The, the James and Freddie are locked up. Not the first time James has been in that prison cell. Um, no. Happy Freddy's. Um, and you know, we got the, we got Chad in there, we got the drunk, um, who I'm still convinced is Billy, and we got Nadio. Um It's not Billy. <laughs> it's not Billy. <laughs> in fact, and, we're not gonna talk about Billy at all. <laughs> we're not gonna well, I, we are gonna talk about Billy actually. Uh, but first <laughs> We find we, out the, the guys that Freddie punched her in intensive care. <laughs> so, um, um, we, then we get to what I think is an awesome conversation between Chantel and Hutch. Like, these are paid killers of Mr. C. Obviously, they're doing well enough where they could drive around, they can get good clothes, you know, they can do these things, but they're just, um, um, they're just salt of the earth fucking killers, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, just eating their garbage fast food. And he got her dessert because he loves her. <laughs> and, this and scene actually just—it felt very uh, Tarantino-esque to me. Very, and I, 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 okay, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought it was because it's—I thought that was a subconscious thing in my mind because both of these people have were were in um hateful eight. Yeah. So uh, I thought, you know, maybe that's part of it. Um, uh, um, it could uh, be. It just, just felt just like two killers talking random shit while eating. It just seems like such a Tarantino thing, but I could be wrong. Well, 
no, I think you're right. And, and the, the, but the thing that they're talking about, though, not even shooting the shit, I think was also a very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, social commentary from Lynch and Frost on this thing. Because it's like, hey, you know, what's the difference between us and the government killing people? Like, government kills people every day. They don't go to jail. Why do we? And it's like, I could see where professional, like, lowbrow professional killers could have that up. Like, I just thought that was a really interesting conversation they had. Because I'm like, this feels real? Because this is probably a real conversation that that Bonnie and Clyde couples and um, fucking Butch Cassidy and Sundance mass murderers have had between themselves. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So we, yeah, I, I, I really like that scene for whatever reason. And you're right. Thank you for saying it. Cause I just thought maybe it was subconscious, but it could just be the fact that they were just sitting there talking like they would in a Tarantino film. But again, whenever I see Tim Roth though, I think I immediately yeah. think, uh, I think hateful eight or Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. Exactly. I think Tarantino whenever I see him. Yeah. Um, so then Let's go yeah. to Dougie's house. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Dougie's house, shall we? Because Janie, he is in seventh heaven right now. Yeah, she's serving him cake. How is he not gaining weight? Like, he's eating so much sugar and carbs. <laughs> That's all he has is sugar and carbs. You know, everything's going well. Things are doing things. And then we start to see some semblance of personality in Dougie, some independent movement um, where he's moving stuff in the object the bait the blank slate is starting to become a little less blank as what i was catching on this one and he's playing with a tv remote which turned on sunset boulevard which is the movie where david lynch got the got the the the, the name uh, for cole the name for gordon cole and he hears gordon cole's name and this snaps something in dougie doesn't it yeah, and we should also mention Sunset Boulevard is also like it's one of Lynch's favorite movies. It's one of the reasons why he, you know, titled Mulholland Drive, Mulholland Drive as a nod to Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he recognizes the name Gordon Cole and he's got a sense of urgency in him now. Um, yes, he's got a sense of urgency, but with that sense of urgency comes a sense of not 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 the smartest thing to do. <laughs> Which but is, it has to be done. But it does have to be done, doesn't it? Yes. And he looks over at the um, electrical outlet, hearing the electrical noise, and starts fucking with it with his fork. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, shocking him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember first seeing this, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Holy shit. Like, I thought the same thing, too. JDE thought, holy shit. Sonny yeah. Jim thought, holy shit. Yeah, Sonny Jim, too. <laughs> yes, but we will learn that this was pivotal, that this needed to happen. This is Yeah, it had to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. Just took, you know, Cake and Sunset Boulevard to uh, shake some some of the foundations loose there for our, our poor hero here. <laughs> yes, and then causes the blackout. Joe, I'm going to give you the floor, as it were, for this next scene. Uh, well, this is a tough one. Uh, so it's our last scene with Margaret Lanterman, uh, Catherine Coulson, a.k.a. the log lady. She calls Hawk, letting him know that she's dying. Uh, she is uh, 
you know, the title of the episode, you know, it comes from this, you know, there's a, there's some, there's some fear in letting go. This is this, and this tough one. It's such a beloved character. So this, this was going to be tough anyway, but it's also tough knowing that Catherine Coulson was also dying as they were filming this. Like, you know, she had cancer and was very, very ill. I couldn't imagine filming this or even, and for her to act this scene out is pretty fucking brave. Okay. This is what I wanted to bring up. I am pissed at David Lynch actually, when I watched this scene. Um, and the reason why I am is she is dying in real life. She died like, two days after yeah it was filming this. very shortly after they filmed her her scene yeah i really think something like one or two days after they filmed her scene and when she says i am dying that is not acting that is her visibly upset i am i yes it was very brave but i think it was very callous uh, callous of um, David Lynch to ask her and Mark Frost to say these words. Um, like, you know, the I am dying, these types of things. Um, because it was happening in real life at the same time. So for me, like, this is like a double whammy to me when I watch this scene of depression. Because I cannot imagine, I don't think I could ever, even for the, the even for a swan song, Ask them in that position to say the dialogue that they had to say in this particular scene. I understand, man. I completely agree. Uh, but you know, she all she did agree to do it. Uh, I mean, I don't think they forced it on her. Uh, she, you know, I think I think I agree that it it feels like kind of a dick thing, but I, it also feels like cathartic a bit. Yes. Imagine for her, it might be to be able to say that while it's actually happening to you, happening to you, and be able to give a, a goodbye to, to like you know your director over all these years and like your fans and be able to like kind of like just you know I don't you know I it just seems like it it might have been cathartic for her to say those things like I can't speak for her I don't I no. don't. And you know what? And I was mad when I first saw that when and it aired because I felt like, man, like to ask somebody to do, like you said, like ask somebody to do that while it's actually happening to them. That's just there's a lot of I have a lot of conflicting emotions about it. But so yeah. I, I I I I want to jump in there for a second because you bring up something that I didn't think of. Right? Um, I didn't think um, that about like the conversations that, you know, maybe Lynch talked to her about it and offered to, um, um, you know, change dialogue, things of that nature. We, we don't know. We don't know. Right. So that's a very valid point. I shouldn't just jump to the conclusion that, um, you know, that's what it was. So you're right. But I, I will say that this was, in a, 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 in a lot of, you know, I've seen a lot of depressing things um, on TV, on movies, things of that nature. I would put this up there as like the most depressing thing because this is someone that is 
who was on her deathbed. And it's very obvious she was on her deathbed and that she was having a very difficult time filming even the scenes that she had. Yep. Yeah. It's tough. Like I have, I have conflicting emotions about it. You know, I know she wanted to do the return. She was very excited about it. I think her diagnosis was pretty fast. That led from like when they announced the show to like filming it. I think it was a pretty fast. I don't know, but it it, it just seems yeah, it's it's tough. It's very tough to watch, and it's also like some of the dialogue is also beautiful. Is how bad it is. Yes, it is beautiful dialogue. I'm not. I'm not taking away from the poetry that that is that is that is being written there. Please don't think I am. Um, yeah. Again, it's it's a lot of different emotions. <clears throat> like you know, like I tear up. Like you know, she's when she's saying it, and that her log is turning golden, and like you know, just kind of like this. I probably I, I still feel a little angry about it, like you do. And just kind of knowing that I was just like, that's, that's a lot to ask of somebody in that position. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it is. And okay. So there's my piece. That, that's the part yeah. I wanted to get out that I referenced earlier. Yeah. It's, it's then, rough. It's, it's sad. It's, this is so sad, but uh, I mean, I, I'm also a little bit happy that we got this. Yes. Hear her kind of saying these things as the log lady. It's just so, it's it's jarring just because of you know this is like it's not just a character this is the real person behind the characters going through the exact what this was so um yes and then okay <clears throat> brushing aside feelings things of that nature then she says something him to tell him to remember everything she told him and to watch for the one the one she warned him about um um uh on blue pine mountain yep who do you think that is well that's obviously snake <laughs> <laughs> she was gonna he was gonna give him give him bad insurance forms <laughs> no i think it's uh, blue pine Sam. mountain i Trying to re- jog my memory, the one to keep an eye out, I think, would be uh, would be uh, NATO or Andy, because that's where they were when they went into the get NATO. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm assuming it's probably. See, I thought it was a warning about mm, about the second Cooper. That's what it I could thought. Because yeah, because you know uh, that's also where this Mister C killed Briggs. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there, there's a couple of things that could be, that it could be, you know, I, I think it's that, you think it's Nato or Andy, which also makes total sense. And then he says goodbye. And you could tell that, you know, um, the actor um, was uh, Michael Horse. Yeah. I think had a hard time with that scene as well. Even even though it's very obvious they're not talking to each other at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I think that that was a tough yeah. Um, scene for him as well. And then he brings everyone into a room. Yeah. And um, he informs the uh, Truman and Andy and Lucy and uh, Bobby 
Yeah, before this though, when uh, he ha- after he hangs up, we get like this kind of like nice moment of silence. The screen kind of just turns black. Yeah, you few beats, it's just black, which I think was kind of like, you know, curtain call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see the the, the the light in the cabin going out. I thought was yeah. was yeah. That, I mean, it was a very touching tribute. And again, I can't imagine also how hard that was in the cast and crew to be in that room with. Oh, I'm uh, sure. Catherine Coulson. I cannot imagine how difficult that was for everybody there as well. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, we're tearing up just fucking watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to watch. I couldn't imagine being in there. And again, I shouldn't jump to just anger right away with with, with Lynch and Frost on that one. Um, it's just you know that it's was rough. yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's rough. It's rough is what it is. Yeah, it's not an easy scene to watch. Any of her scenes, all of her scenes in the Return are pretty pretty rough. Just because yeah, we we knew. What was going on because, like, you know, she unfortunately passed before this all came out. And it was it was quite uh, shocking to see her like that. Uh, I wasn't sure how they were going to approach uh, Log Lady. And I didn't know how far along she was with her illness when they were filming. So, like, there was, it was it was it was pretty jarring. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was but uh, let's uh, let's let's go to the comic pitfalls of Audrey and Charlie. <laughs> and I would have liked I would have liked this if it was his own short movie. Uh, these scenes just don't gel. No, they and it's, don't. It's, I think it's doubling down more and more as we're going along with Audrey yelling at Charlie. You know. You know, he got your coat on? Of course I did. We're going out. Yeah. I like like these interactions. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't, no, it doesn't fit the show. And again, it, you know, I know that this was written because Sherilyn Flynn was upset about the time that she had um, on it. You know, we talked about that earlier, but this is just, this is an Audrey, right? In my mind, this is just, this is something else. This is like Sherilyn Flynn versus the midget. Uh, I, it's, really, it's really what this is to me. And I want to see that movie. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, this, again, I, I, I generally find the, these amusing. And I, I, that's why I keep saying, because like, this was a short film of Audrey and Charlie. That would, uh, awesome. But it just, it, it doesn't add to this, any of the story. It doesn't really move things along. It's just it's just there. It falls like a lead balloon, you know? Mm-hmm. It just kind of takes the wind out of the show whenever these two pop in. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, it, um... And like, like how poor Charlie's feeling whenever I'm watching this. I feel so sleepy. Yeah. I did a lot of work today. <laughs> Oh, and I'm so sleepy. <laughs> I'm so sleepy. Um, for those of you that don't follow us on Facebook, we were trolling each other with both uh, taking pictures of Charlie and Audrey. Just zooming in closer and closer on their face. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm so... And then, you know, again, this is going nowhere. Like, <clears throat> this could have been addressed, honestly, in one episode. All this, all this thing. Yep. Could have been a, I mean, because again, it's not gelling right. They could have done like episode, 
<coughs> excuse me, 14 could have just been the Charlie and Audrey it, interactions. Just an episode to itself dedicated to it. You know, um, it's, it's, it's nothing, it has nothing part. I, I'd rather have just had it cut out and be its own separate thing. Sure. Right. No, no, I agree. But I, even the way they did it here, which is, you know, these the intersplicings, I don't care. Again, it would have been more interesting if they just taken a, a, a previous episode and just done it all at once if they were going to, you know, yeah. you know, and just be done with it um, versus like this whole stupid, you know, obviously this meandering of we're going to go out, we're not going to go out, but, but nobody cares anymore. I think anyone that was invested in Audrey at this point in, in season three is out anyways. I, yeah. I, I Tell was me out. if I'm wrong. I was right? out watching it the first time. I was just like, I just, I get, like, I'm chuckling because, you know, she's just yelling at him and he's just fucking, <laughs> you're like this poor son of a bitch. But I, I just, I didn't care. I was checked out. Like, I, like, you know, like, I, I just kind of like, I'm checking my phone until we get to the roadhouse after this. I mean, it's over here. Yes. Um, and it's um, I was checked out as well. Obviously, we could tell about this when we're, when we're discussing it. Um, and again, uh, if the people listening, if we are wrong, like you were invested in all this. Um, great. But I was not. Joe was not. Um, and then finally, we get to the veils playing Axitoli, which but I have sub the, 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 the music is definitely like reminds me of. Fire Walk with Me, um, the the um, Pink Room Band, the Pink Room Band, yes, yeah, yep. I agree. I don't mind the song; it's it's not something I throw on all the time, but it's interesting and different. I like industrial weird noise stuff sometimes. So, but then we see like uh, this girl in a booth, and these two guys like basically pick her up and set her on the floor. Uh, she starts crawling. And crying, and she eventually screams. And this kind of goes back to like when I was talking about like the kid in the car when and the woman is blaring the horn. Yeah, there's a sickness in Twin Peaks, and the, it's starting to spread. And this is played by Charlene Yee, by the way, who was best known for in my world as uh, in the later seasons of House, being one of the interns that House kept around. Yep, yep, yep. She's great. I like she is great. Mm-hmm. I like her a lot. Now, I, okay, so this Axitoli, I want to, the song Axitoli by the Veils. Jesus Christ. I'm listening, I, I have, you know, I, when I watch these things, I have the subtitles on um, because I want to capture everything. Um, so I actually watched it twice today. I watched it first time just kind of focusing on the show and then focusing on the dialogue. Um, and um, because, again, I didn't remember this having so much in it. So I was like, fuck. <laughs> Man, these are some trite lyrics, man. <laughs> like, it's trying to sound so important. And it's just like, who wrote this? I'm glowing bright obsidian, axe amphibian, an elemental chemical, got me growing six black tentacles. I'm a little nightmarish, a little modern. Good golly, go get that kid some laudanum. What the fuck? Sounds like every Bob Dylan lyric to me. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? You're trying to be. I'm sorry. You know, maybe maybe there's people who are, uh, you know, we do have a lot of listeners these days. So maybe there are people who, from the show, listening to this, if we're really that harsh. But, my God, I was just looking at those lyrics. And I was like, 
Oh, you're trying too hard. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, uh, the lyrics are bad. I've never really even listened to lyrics. Uh, again, I, I like the loud noise sound industrial thing. Uh, I do too. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the lyrics are just fucking terrible, but uh, I mean, they all can't be winners, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, they can't all be winners. Um, so they all can't be just you and I by James Paul. <laughs> That's the sometimes there's got to be a clunker in there. <laughs> well, you know, I want to see a duet with him where both him and a snake are singing together the male part. Um, I want to see that version. No, <laughs> fucking Christ. Um, yeah, so she screams and again. This, this sickness of Twin Peaks is spreading. Uh, and then we get the uh, the weird hotel as the credits roll. Yes, which was an interesting choice. I like it. I do too. And it's uh, this episode's in dedicating the memory of Margaret Lanterman. Uh, Catherine Coulson gets her own in memory of. I think in the, one of the next episodes, or she might have had one already. I don't recall. I think she did already. This one, yeah, I think this one was dedicated to Margaret Lanterman. I think Catherine Coulson was like the one of the first three episodes of the dedications. Um, but I like she gets she gets two of them. Log lady deserves it. The log lady does deserve it. Um, yeah. Um, I overall again not what I remembered. Right. Like I was totally off on this. And it is. This was a real slow one, Paul. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> nothing's yeah. happening. Nothing's happening. Um, so that's on me. That's on me. I, you know, I was wrong. I remembered it wrong. So again, my apologies. Um, shit's really going to get crazy the next episode. Um, yeah, the next, these last three. It's, it's, yeah. It's out the gate with this episode, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This is like the ramp. This is like the ramp up on the roller coaster. Like, okay, here we go. We're, we're, we're pulling a bunch of, we got a bunch of shit set up. And we're going to start pulling a lot of strings real fast. Because, yeah, this next part, uh, uh, it's going to, these next three are going to feel like a three-hour movie. Like, I know it's an 18-hour long movie, but this next thing is just going to feel like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, uh, <clears throat> and we're going to get to my favorite, what I've been waiting for, my favorite out of all of them, um, Roadhouse Performance next episode. And uh, we also get one of my absolute favorite moments of road rage in any <laughs> any TV show or movie. <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to talking to that as well. So good. Um, and um, oh, man, yes, it's gonna shit's gonna happen. No knock, nor doorbell. Next episode. Joe, what do you have going on with the Joe down? Uh, we're on a hiatus right now. Uh, some things have happened, so we just uh, just haven't had time to do Veronica. That's going to just be thrown on the back burner for another time. Uh, then we're going to be uh, we're going to and we're going to do December with uh, the three John Wick movies. Nice, Those nice. They're just they're they're so. I don't think Brown's seen them. I've, oh I've seen them. Uh, I've seen fun. one. I've not seen fun. three. I've not seen three yet. 
they're they they're fun. Though. They are fun action movies. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited for that. Yes, I am excited to see your take on that because I yes, they are fun. I love uh, you know I. Those to me, I mean, Matrix did a lot, but like that solidified Keanu Reeves as like the most unconventional super um, um, action star ever. What Constantine didn't do that for you? <laughs> you know, I didn't hate Constantine honestly. I mean, the writing wasn't great, but I loved that. I loved the Constantine, the Sandman, all that stuff. Like, I, I, I don't. I heard they made a show. I didn't watch it. Um, I think the show's more true to the character, comic character than yeah. the was. This was like, um, God, I was just watching Deadpool earlier today, too. Um, again, uh, this is very, yeah, I think the constant movie is very much to what the Wolverine Origins movie was with Deadpool, like the Constantine. Not very, not very close to the source material. Yeah. Um, but there are rumblings they're doing a sequel with Keanu Reeves. There's rumblings of that. You know, I could, I, I think they would do it right now. I think, I think now would be the time to do it. Um, because I do think they could do it right with the right writing team. I don't know if you want, you think DC should be taking risks with all their like big budget, uh, you know, all the success they've had with Zack Snyder's DCEU, <laughs> you know, like the fan favorites of Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad. Well, I don't know if they want to roll the dice on <laughs> Well, now, you know, they're talking about how they're going to give things back to Zack Snyder. I will never watch a DC movie again. I'm done. Like I, I think I am too. I'm. I walked away. Joker was fine. Uh, it was yes. a nice tribute to Scorsese. Yep, that's, that's exactly. It. What it was. That's all I need. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about you know Wonder Woman 1984, which could be good, but yeah, Penny Jenkins is at least uh, she knows how to tell stories. Zack <laughs> Snyder just knows how to make things blow up. Yeah, I, I will say, you know, the one thing that I'm not looking forward to in the in the Wonder Woman 84 movie is I know they're going to try and tie some bullshit into another movie. Like, they're, they're, they're just frantic on making this DCU movie universe work, and it just isn't going to. Yeah, well, frankly, I'm, I'm mostly just fucking done with comic book movies anyway. Like, I'll enjoy, like... You you said you watched Dead. I watched Deadpool two last night when uh, I got off work. Because uh, on Hulu, they both popped up on Hulu. So yep. I was yep. like, yeah, sure. Uh, I I got Disney Plus back because I wanted to watch Mandalorian, and I just I click on the Marvel thing, and it's just it's so fucking overwhelming. There's like twenty five movies, and it's like only a few of them stand alone as their own thing. I'm like, I'm not gonna watch any of this. <laughs> You know, I, I, I will say um, I have not gotten Disney Plus back. Um, I, the Mandalorian did not grab me like it's grabbed other people. Um, it's to me, it's it reeks of that low budgetness um, that I don't find um, uh, works in the in the Star Wars universe. Um, um, you know, I saw some screenshots even of like one of the scenes of Baby Yoda. It's obviously a a, a doll. And I'm like, <laughs> this. this yeah, it's this a midget is, and a wig. <laughs> this doesn't. Uh, this doesn't do it for me, you know. Like, you know, this just no. I mean, Baby Yoda's cute and all, but no, I can't. I just, it's not doing anything for me. That's um, fine, man. yeah. Like, it's like it's, I got it just for that, just because I you know whatever. Plus, I 
watching classic Simpsons is always nice. Yeah. Because they have all the seasons of The Simpsons and like that string from like the early to late 90s was like it's just dynamite. That show was just on fire. Yeah, it was like around season four, season five on for a while. Yep. Until around 2000. Yep. Yeah. I got out of The Simpsons around the episode. Um, I remember, I think it was the season premiere when Homer tripped on the hot pepper. Yeah, uh, that's that's when it kind of and Johnny Cash played the coyote. Yes, yes, uh, that's when I that season I got out. That season was like, okay, this isn't doing anything for me anymore. Um, so, um, same thing I think with um, uh, you being on hiatus with the Joe down right now on um, the blog side. I'm not sure what's going on with cast that movie. Um, I haven't really been able to get in touch with Scott, um, on that, so I'm not sure what's happening right now. Um, so that's an unfortunate turn of developments. Um, I really want to get going on that episode. I've been ready for weeks for that episode. Um, it's Waterworld, right? It's Waterworld and steroids and baseball. Yeah. And it's something that I really wanted to do. Like when we originally started talking about doing, you know, cast that movie, this was one of the movies that was like my original, like on my top list of films I wanted to do. Um, most so, at the time was the most expensive movie ever made. And it, it was just, the yeah, and, and, it, and the opening scene is we got watch Kevin Costner drink his own piss. Well, okay, so, <laughs> like since we're talking about angle. that, guys, I'm gonna give you some of my grievances. Um, you know, sneak peek here. Um, yes, he doesn't have a name. Um, he's just known as the Mariner. Um, Jesus, two hundred and seventy million dollars. People can't even afford a name. Can't, and 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 you know. There's so much that went on behind the scenes. Do you know that? Do you know that Kevin Costner tried and and there's there's apparently it's is 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 cut footage of this. Wanted to have a horse with him the entire F movie, like a horse in Waterworld. He wanted to have a horse like on his boats and shit like that, and like they couldn't make it work because the horse wouldn't fucking act like was freaking out in the water. Um, they tried this. Um, the Yes, the movie tanked so bad that it said eventually, you know, they're trying to make a resurgence with Waterworld for whatever reason. Like, it's not as bad as you remember. It's as bad as you remember. Okay, it is. And even now in the new Wikipedia, they've people like soften up to it and they're like, eventually earned its money back with, you know, when along with, uh, uh, you know, um, through home video and streaming services. No, you mean it made its money back from streaming. That's how many years it took for this movie to get out of the red. Well, it, it just took 25 years. That's what I'm saying. This movie came out when VHS was a thing. There are people, there, there is a generation entirely born that have never heard of a VHS, let alone seen one. VHSs were a long ways away from fucking streaming people. Long ways away. <laughs> I'm trying to, I remember seeing it in the theater. And honestly, like, I, you know, I, I forget what year it came out, but I think I was like getting into my teens. It was like 96, I believe. Yeah, so I'm, a, I'm like at 15, 16. 15, 16, yeah. <laughs> Just like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I can, I can't see where any of that money went. <laughs> no, this. it's a cheap looking production. Well, okay, so we'll talk about that a little bit because I haven't been able to discuss it. This has been on my mind for a long time. 
a bunch of sets got ruined during it. And so, you know, it, it was kind of like um, we talked about in our Sphere episode where, you know, they try to build all this stuff and, and do all these things. There was a bunch of fucking storms that, that destroyed sets, things of that nature. They had to move things along. People almost fucking died uh, making this movie. Um, Kevin Costner himself almost drowned in a scene. Um, Dennis Hopper, once again, doesn't really remember doing the fucking movie, uh, <laughs> which isn't a shocker. Um, yeah, it's just, there was so much that, and like, it got to the point where, um, cause it was directed by, um, I gotta forget his name off the top of my head now, but they did dance with wolves together and Waterworld is where they ended their friendship. And the director even came out and said, you know, Kevin Costner, um, needs, you know, needs to work with his, his favorite director, which is himself from now on. <laughs> like, like holy shit like they were pissed Kevin Costner was doing rewrites daily to the script still didn't bother to give himself a fucking name um, the whole premise of what it was what the script was starting to how it finished it's a completely different fucking movie um, and you know, this was and Kevin Costner himself was pouring in his own money to make this work at, towards the end well, you know who didn't have to worry about rebuilding sets from tropical storms? George Lucas. <laughs> Cleaning new sets. <laughs> yeah, it was all green screen. <laughs> Joke's on you, Costner. <laughs> you should have just waited, waited four Smug. years. Yeah, you smoke. You should have waited four years. You could have spent two. You could have spent that two hundred million dollars on a sweet fucking uh, green screen studio. Yeah, um, you could just sat there drinking coffee like George. God. So yeah, so that's um, that's my uh, bitch. Uh, you know, again, well, I, I, there's just so much. I mean, there's more to it than that, but I don't want to bore our audience who are probably already tuned out. Um, so yeah, other than that, we still do the office. Um, which one's coming up? Um, is it Valentine's? No, uh, we did Valentine's Day already. Which one's coming up? I have no idea. I don't. Is it Valentine's Day? I think it might be Valentine's Day. It's a part episode sixteen, right? Uh, yeah, I think because boys and girls. Yes, boys and girls, and then it's and then it's Valentine's Day. Yes, yeah. so Valentine's Day is coming out next, um, and um, so we'll be doing that. And then we'll be doing you know a couple you know, the new episodes will be coming on after that. So yeah, and then I, I that's that that that's what I have. Yeah, so that's all I got. So uh, other than that, Joe, anything else? Nope, I have nothing. Uh, I think we should just end it. Uh, uh, moment of silence for uh, Catherine Coulson. <laughs>